Hi, everyone. Hey, Natasha. Hi. Hey, guys. Sup? Welcome to Radical Nourishment. My name is Natasha Manatau. I'm an artist and narrative strategist with the Food Culture Collective. And today I'm joined by a crew of emerging audio artists. I'm, uh, I'm Nino McQuown. I'm Dana Waterburn. I'm Alejandra Salazar. I'm Shapali Patel. You're hearing the voices of our first inaugural cohort of Ears in the Field, a fellowship that we at Food Culture Collective convened to uplift stories of sovereignty and self-determination found in moments big and small. So all season long on Radical Nourishment, the fellows and I are introducing you to some radically humane and creative voices working in various aspects of food sovereignty. What do you have for us today, Shafali? So I live in Seattle, about four miles from a river known as the Duwamish. Have any of you heard of it before? I have not. No, I have not. But it sounds really fun, and I would love to fish or swim in it. I feel like we shouldn't catch too much fish from the Duwamish, though, unfortunately. Um, Maybe fish spotting, like we can observe some fish or something. That would also be nice. I know nothing about fish. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. I'm still learning. Um, A lot of what I'm learning about rivers, about fish, about the city that's called Seattle right now, I learned about it when I first moved to the city through writers, artists, activists, and the river itself. Definitely fish spotting, I think, is a great way to like learn things. Um, I've learned that the river, known by its anglicized name Duwamish, runs 12 miles along the south end of Seattle. The Duwamish River is the reason Seattle exists. The abundance and pathways the river offered literally gave birth to the city as we know it today. The body of the river has been gutted, curves straightened, heart lines severed, fishing villages plucked to become more amenable to navigation, industrial production, and waste disposal. Over a century of industrial activity and dumping filled the lifeways of the Duwamish watershed with contaminants like PCBs, PAHs, arsenic, mercury, phthalates, and most commonly, petroleum. You can't escape the signs that any seafood that comes out of the Duwamish River needs special handling, if it can be safely eaten at all. Poison land is cheap land, accessible to black, indigenous, people of color, and immigrant communities that make South Seattle neighborhoods their home. In 2001, the Duwamish was declared a Superfund site by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and is considered one of the most toxic rivers in the country. One of the largest historic occupiers and source of pollutants along the river is the company Boeing. A new lawsuit says Boeing is poisoning the Duwamish River by pumping out pollution that is thousands of times above the legal limit. The focus of the concern is the military delivery center on East Marginal Way in Tequila. This is how some people chose to interact with the waters that gave them abundance. They are choosing ways of being that normalize violence and attempt to forcibly contain and flatten our understanding of river systems. But what does it look and sound like to truly care for a living force that teaches, protects, nourishes, and inspires us? How do you grow relationships rooted in love and respect with a river that is trying to heal, like the Duwamish? 
And who exactly are the people and the rivers that are keeping this conversation alive? Continuing to do the work of feeding honorable relationship on behalf of all people, even those who are complicit in desecrating our waters, because they understand at a molecular level that water is vital to what it means to be a human being, vital to our capacity to grow culture, community, and resilience. As I explore the answers to these questions, I find that the definition of water stewardship, water sovereignty, and reciprocity travels to places we might not even consider. My name is Simon Wolf, and I'm a poet and a teaching artist. Simon asks the question, what do we do in a place that speaks a different language? Water is a language. Simon is piecing together its form, phonology, vocabulary, grammar, through the ritual of creating poetry. To find the words that reflect his experience as a human, trying to keep his head above the unrelenting waves of false, violent, and profane narratives sweeping us away from ourselves. The reason I came to the Duwamish is because it was this grounding factor and all this overwhelming fuckery of history and perspectives where every single person says a different thing and you find one fact here, different, you know what I mean? The river, I could come to the river as a physical place. I knew where I stood physically, and I could write from it and feel grounded, right? So it was my way, I, can, I mean, that's a tradition, coming to the water to feel, you know, in ceremony to be grounded. Uh, I'm not saying what I was doing was a certain ceremony, or at times I think maybe it was, but like, I, that's why I got overwhelmed by all this shit, right? And it's like, how do I work my way out from it? So I go to the river, and I start trying to get specific, you know, and then building back up from there. And at times I was honestly like, oh, am I just doing to this river what every other white man has done to this river, which is just grab it and rip it up and use it for my own means, right? Like they dredged and straightened it. I am taking a couple words of its description and then exploiting that into a poem, right? So I did like go through this process of being like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this, right? Like, what is it for? But then, you know, the poems just kept coming and the words just kept coming and you gotta just follow that intuition because at the river, Everything was everything is present on the water. Duwamish rivers straightened curves reflect industrial all year round. Water past town, infinite bramble, murky with chemicals and runoff. Rivers current eddies into oceans. Tide past the power plant humming, pilings taking generations to fall. No man's land around the concrete factory, empty on Sunday. Fishers cast their net and jeer at the broken bridge above. Because the name means people of the inside, its guts were dredged first and turns 
pile in the sky over the tugboat that doesn't stop to hear wind in willow and red current and how burning long houses down was called improvement. This river, sky's color on winter day, holds full moon midway, or water is as much sky as land. And what could shine but unknown desert sand brown of these reeds and dust green of this sedge? For the river, there is repetition and slowly breaking down everything in its way. I've been reading the river poems for a while, and I've had two different white people halfway through they go, you should read a land acknowledge. You should like talk about the Duwamish. And I'm like, this whole fucking thing is a land acknowledgement. I'm trying to over like complicate the land acknowledgement to actually let everything fit in there because there's so much more to just saying this is Duwamish land that we stole. But it's like, okay, I don't. I'm not in a place where I can just like give them this house or give them lots of money. But it's like at least I can like linger with these things and I can sit with these things and at least I can give this time. I love playing. The dynamics that exist between just level of sound, all of a sudden you start creating pitch and ideas. A lot of people don't realize how melodic percussion is. It's just for the person to identify it and find it and then create that vocabulary. My name is Arturo Rene Rodriguez. I'm a drummer, a percussionist. I play anything you can that creates sound, you know, whether it's a tabletop, a chair, floor, body percussion, you know, this is all our portable drum. First, these are called bata. If you have never seen these drums or heard them before, it's very old music. Drum is the oldest form of communication and expression, from expressing different emotional states to in touching and learning how to create a united energy, bringing people together and using our collective energy to create different possibilities. Every Sunday, Arturo and his students hold drum church. Together, they drum and sing and dance for the Orishas. So the tradition is known as Ifa from Nigeria. In that region, there's a lot of tribes primarily the Yoruba, but there's a lot of other tribes that have practiced Orisha that came to the New World via the whole transatlantic migration of people all through the Caribbean. In Cuba, they call it Lukumi. The Orishas are deities representative of natural phenomena in our universe. It's a reflection of all the things, and we have identified packets of these things. And they're given names and ideas and numbers and stories, but ultimately, fundamentally, comes down to energy. 
Well, Shun represents the waterways, the rivers, and very soothing, very flowing. Her energy is very playful. She represents a sensuality, the, the sensualness of life. She's very sweet and she's drawing and she entices you, you know, because that's her job. It's very playful energy. So to play to her, you have to have those mind intentions when you sing these songs. She's the steward of the river, so you have to honor her. Water is, our, is the most fundamental part of being a living organism. Water is a language. The river gives body, a voice to this language. You can hear it in the flow of music, poetry, memories, the sound of bodies moving to create and heal, streaming through tears, sweat, organs, wombs, dreams, medicine, blessings. Arturo translates the rivers through rhythm and intention, the sound of a culture, of the soul. The songs produce energy when people are singing them, when people are dancing, and then when people have a belief system and what their intent is. All of that harnesses our energy because we're individual batteries. We produce an electrical charge. You take these batteries and then you put them in a series and you get them moving together. And all of a sudden the whole energy field goes up. And that's a real thing in the old ancient cultures. Know that's why collective community is so important. So that you know, what is it? Divide and conquer. You you get you spread them out, and people can't commune anymore. And we've lost the game. I think we can become stronger. And people need to talk. People know there's something wrong. <laughs> there's a lot going on here. And money is such a. I don't want to say it's evil, but it's created this consumption of money and material. And it doesn't bring people together, it creates barriers. It almost feels like we have no power. And that's the scary part, you know, um, because there's so much that needs to change and nobody's gonna do it. We have to do it. We have to take an active, responsible role. And I think for me being as a musician, a teacher, educator, that's my primary goal is to get people aware of that and then learning how to harness our energies to create positive change. First step in destroying a culture, the spirit of people, is erasing their language. To erase the language of water and silence the voice of living rivers is to erase what it means to be human. Humans, over 70% water, told to deny themselves. 
for paper and power. But rivers are continuously cycling, returning to the oceans to come back to themselves through the clouds once again. Our voices are how we carry memories, knowledge, culture across time, from ancestors to future generations. Rivers teach us how to speak the language of resilience and sovereignty. My name is Alexandria Dute Van Bryce, but I go by Allie for short. Hello, my name is Orion Grant. Allie and Orion are shaping the vessels to catch this water wisdom and cycle back the stories that remind us of who we truly are. So why water for me, it really comes back to like where my childhood, I don't have my earliest memory of being in water, of being in my mother's womb. I've blacked out a lot of my earliest childhood memories. The farthest back memories that I do have, I grew up in the Snoqualmie Valley, which is a tributary of the Cedar River watershed. And like I was heavily impacted by water throughout my day to day growing up. During the spring, we would get snow melt that would come down from the mountains and it would just overfill the river banks throughout my neighborhood. And so sometimes we'd have days where like school was closed down because the school was flooded. In the summertime, when the water was warm enough, we would go float the river. I have some of my most fondest memories of my childhood, doing jumps off of rope swings and bridges into the river. My father and I, we would often go like tromping through forested lands and find our way into different wetland areas and just kind of living it up, you know, exploring together. So I have some connection to the community that I grew up in, in that regards, and being connected to water. In my adulthood, I got reconnected replugged in, like water kept calling me back. In my early adult years, I got distracted by trying to chase money and trying to get a high paying job. And so water, I wanna say like the current brought me back in. And in a collaboration between Dynamic Waters and Black Star Farmers, we created a program called the Rainier Valley Water Resiliency Program synonymous to its name, is a program meant to create access, remind people of, and design access for disproportionately and historically affected black and brown people of South Seattle in particular. Water means freedom. It means access. It means privilege. And no matter where I go in the work that I try to do, water has always felt like the way to reconnect to my heritage, to heritage loss, to the communities and people that I'm trying to reconnect with or to connect with. So it does feel like uh, the most important element of our survival as it relates to resiliency. The term resiliency for me is very personal of as being a mixed race, black, indigenous, and ethnically Jewish person because I feel through my blood like the resiliency of my ancestors and so like that word just like really holds strong for me. We're starting our course at the very top of the watershed in the Cedar River close to Allie's home. We're following the water downhill as it travels and traverses the watershed, sneaking its way along the Green River, making its outlet through the Duwamish, 
finding its tributary in the Puget Sound and then hopefully joining the global ocean again as it cycles back in the Pacific. So the coursework is meant to be focused on our specific area in Rainer Valley and South Seattle, but the story of water is a global story and we're trying to create that context for our program. The participants are learning low-tech rainwater harvesting techniques and stormwater management, collecting rainwater from various impervious surfaces, identifying where the micro watershed, where we are, where's our top of our watershed, and how can we capture that water and steward it in a way, whether it's storing it for a period of time or redirecting it. So how can we take water from the river with an intentional way, thinking through, like, how can we be more in right relationship so we're not being extractive? Industrial pollution is something that has been and will continue to be one of the biggest sources of pollution to our waterways. Water sovereignty to me means decentralizing the control of water away from historically mitigating groups that have power or control. Every one of these industries relies on the water. And Boeing, they used the water in the 40s and 50s to build aluminum factories and plants. Google and all of these microtech companies use power from hydroelectric dams to run their operations. They keep that away from everyone, but they know that water is what it all comes back to. We have lost that, like, water is our teacher. And if we, and I'm pointing to Ryan and I, and like our other program partners, create the vessel for people to just start absorbing the knowledge, like, it comes to them in such an intrinsic way. If we can facilitate a learning opportunity where people can bring their children, and they can learn with their children, ugh, it's a beautiful thing because now we're teaching multiple generations. I've really made it my life's mission to stay in tune with what that, that kind of like underlying voice speaking to me and stewarding water and just recognizing that it is the life I breathe, you know? Human lives are a watershed of memories, emotions, voices, and gifts. They say humans are mostly water, living on a planet that is mostly water, held together by water, held together by me. In our language, we are water. You and I are the same. My freedom is your freedom. I am always looking towards you, inside you, your constant companion, protector, and teacher. With you as you enter the world, move through the world, make love in the world, die in the world, make sense of the worlds. Love, imagination, humility, and care are the many tributaries through which you come back to me over and over again. Within the oceans of forces, agendas, and parasitic lunacies, looking to keep a world desperately thirsty, a few drops of love can change everything.
Radical Nourishment is a project from Food Culture Collective and Heal Food Alliance. At Food Culture Collective, we're transforming the story of food to help us collectively reorient to food as life source, compost legacies of harm, and grow a culture of care. Heal Food Alliance is a national, multi-sector, multi-racial coalition building collective power to transform our food and farm systems. Radical Nourishment is produced by our Ears in the Field fellows, as well as Zach Rosen and me, Natasha Monato. It's edited by Zach Rosen. To learn more about today's story, visit the links in our show notes. <laughs>